Today on Thinking Biblically, I'm joined by a professor of theology and ethics who's going to help us look at the Freedom Convoy through a biblical lens. Welcome back to Thinking Biblically, where we examine how all Scripture speaks to all of life. Uh, Before we get started, please don't forget to subscribe and share and comment and review all those good things. As you may know, Ottawa, where I live, has been the epicenter of the Freedom Convoy, a grassroots protest of government COVID policy. Last week, our Prime Minister invoked for the very first time the strongest tool at their disposal, the Emergency Act, which in 1988 replaced what was formerly known as the War Measures Act that was last used by his own father in 1970 to quell a separatist uprising in the province of Quebec. To help us understand all this and its implications, I am joined by Dr. Douglas Farrow. Dr. Farrow is a professor of theology and ethics at McGill University in Montreal. He received his Doctor of Philosophy degree from King's College London in 1994, after prior degrees at Regent College in Vancouver and other North American institutions. Professor Farrow specializes in historical and systematic theology, theological anthropology, ethics, and political theory. Among his recent books are Ascension Theology, Desiring a Better Country, and Theological Negotiations, Proposals in Soteriology and Anthropology. Most recently, he's published a theological commentary on the Thessalonian letters in the Bible, which appears in the Brazos series. His work on public policy includes Nation of Bastards and with Daniel Sear, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, Divorcing Marriage, Unveiling the Dangers in Canada's New Social Experiment. Uh, social experiment. Professor Farrow has contributed to an international project on Christianity and constitutionalism and regularly engages in New York with the work of the Institute on Religion and Public Life and of Evangelicals and Catholics together. In Canada, he received a Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal for his contributions to public discourse on social issues. Dr. Farrow is married and has five adult children. Douglas, thank you for being with me today. Thank you for inviting me on. Um, now, you've obviously done considerable work on the relationship of biblical ethics and the public sphere. What would you say to someone who thinks these are two different and separate domains, that the Bible is about personal spiritual things and doesn't have anything to say to public policy, government, and so on? I would, I would say to them, and of course, one is dealing with two different types of people here, the the religious person who thinks that and the non-religious person who thinks that their their reasoning is a bit different but both of them are accepting the premise that there is a, a, a major sphere of human existence the political sphere which aristotle thought was was the highest sphere um that that is a a sphere in which God should be absent or from which God should be absent, a sphere that can be lived in, explored, life in it conducted as if the the creator of all things uh, did not exist or did not care about that sphere. Now, that is already a contradiction in terms because that is a theological claim. It's either the theological claim that there is no such creator 
or it's the theological claim that the creator is the kind of, of, of creator who does not care about politics or does not want to have any authority in the political sphere or even to be um, thought of and discussed in the political sphere. So whether you're a theist claiming that God is like that, or you're an atheist claiming like God, that God is like that, you are making a theological claim, just as I am, when I say there is no such sphere. Sorry, I was muted. There uh, is this tendency among certain Bible believers, uh, uh, many of the circles that I've been in, in the many years that I've been a believer, where um, there's this idea that the Bible is focused on, on more personal matters that talk about the heart, you know, loving one's neighbor and, and loving God, and, you know, leave the, those bigger, higher, as you call them, matters to, to the world. Now, obviously, you, you don't believe that. Why? Well, I, I'm far too, um, <laughs> how shall I say? Uh, I, I daren't say I'm far too like Jesus to say that because it's not a claim that, <laughs> that I would ever make. Well, that, them's um, so, fighting words. <laughs> so let's just say I'm far too Augustinian to say that. Augustine made very clear in his work on the morals of the Catholic Church that, um, that in order to live the way Jesus taught us to live, that is according to the two great commandments, we have to love, the go love God, first of all, and love the neighbor as ourselves. And he asked us, how do we love ourselves? Well, we love ourselves properly when we love God more than ourselves. How then do we love our neighbor as ourselves By helping our neighbor on towards the love of God. And you cannot do that by pretending that there's en this enormous public sphere in which God doesn't matter. Well, because the public sphere directly affects our neighbor. So if we care about our neighbor, we have to care about this thing we call the public sphere. Exactly. The public sphere is the sphere of our neighbor. Now it can be very small and focused, you know, as in dealing, you know, with the with my elderly neighbor next door. Or it can be as large as global politics. But get, even my neighbor next door is affected by what's happening in the around the globe and in this country at the moment. So to try to care for the neighbor next door without caring about these other things is, is simply um, unrealistic. It's very naive, it's theologically naive, politically naive, socially naive. Um, now, we're going to get into the specifics of the Freedom Convoy and, and what the government's been doing and, and might do uh, moving ahead. But before that, again, a very more basic biblical question. And I, I've... On this podcast, I've already addressed the issue of Romans 13, but it'd be good to hear your take on what appears to a lot of well-meaning people an absolute or near-absolute directive. And I'll read the first two verses of Romans 13 that people like to quote. Uh, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So what, what do we do with that? I have my own answers, but I'd like to hear it from you. 
Well, I, I expect my answer is is not dissimilar from yours, although feel free to say so. Um, uh, the the question of divine authority for governors is also a question about human authority and what makes for legitimate authority. The the Anglican uh, moral and pastoral and political theologian Oliver O'Donovan um, has written extensively about these matters and very helpfully. The, but let's go back to Augustine, uh, on whom he also leans. And Augustine argues that that power that is attained through justice or justice acceding to power is the ground of true judicial or juridical authority, the authority to pass judgments and to to, um, command or order uh, human life. So in the absence of justice, there is no true authority. Now, human justice is always at best an approximation of divine justice in the sphere of human life. It's, it's often very far removed. It's a very rough and crude approximation, and we can't expect in this age for it to be much more than that. But we have to be aware that it is sometimes dramatically less than that, and even vanishingly less than that. So for example, at the moment, um, people across the political spectrum who have examined this from the Communist Party of Canada to to the Conservative Party of Canada um, have, have, and and legal people have have pointed out immediately that um, that the use of the Emergencies Act does not meet the conditions specified in the Emergencies Act and is unconstitutional in its its deployment. So one is not disobeying legitimate authority when one says, well, no, you, you actually can't do that with any authority. Now, the answer may come, well, my authority is the police and they're about to knock on your door. But that is not the kind of authority that Paul is talking about in Romans 1. That is not using the coercive powers of the state to uphold justice. That is using the coercive powers of the state to destroy what is just. And so people who think that God is commanding them simply to obey whatever is told them by their superiors had best betake themselves back to the Nuremberg trials and listen to the pronouncements of the judges there, namely that just following orders is no excuse for behavior that is wicked. Pope Leo XIII made the same point. Uh, Martin Luther King made the same point. Thomas Aquinas had made the point. You cannot justly obey an unjust order if the unjust order causes you to behave unjustly. So at who's, but who's the arbiter here? Like how 
do we know where legitimate government authority ends and that place where we have a, a God-given, not just right, but an obligation to say no? How do we know? Well, like any other matter of, of conscience, one is obliged to obey one's conscience whilst knowing that one's conscience can err. So one has to take the trouble to form one's conscience, to educate one's conscience. And that is, of course, done through attention, first of all, to the law of God and to the good news of the gospel. Um, it is also done by considering uh, uh, the demands of, of natural law, that is, of our innate capacity that God gave us to, to think intelligently about the choices we are making in keeping with the overall uh, structures of creation as, as brought into existence by God. And we're also accountable to consider civil or positive law. But that's the proper order. Divine law, natural law, positive law. And positive law where it conflicts with divine or natural law in such a way as to cause us to be unjust and disobedient to God and to act contrary to our God-given um, gifts and, and uh, forms and natures has to be disobeyed at that point. It, it's not that it's not that a law can't be unjust or 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 at least twisted in some fashion and we're not responsible to submit to it. but it is the case that we're responsible not to submit to it if it causes us to behave unjustly. And, you're putting, and you're putting I see a, it, that's happening now. Yeah. So you're putting a lot of the, I was going to say pressure or responsibility on the individual to make their own decision with regard to relating to the government. Yes, uh, but let me qualify that. The, I, I put the responsibility on the individual in the same sense that, say, the, the American founders put it on the individual and tried to put in place limitations on the government um, in the same sense that the Canadian Charter uh, uh, put, tries to put limitations on the government so that the individual can exercise his or her proper, rational, volitional agency with freedom of conscience and religion and so forth. But, but freedom, of, freedom of conscience does take place in the context of freedom of religion, in, in the context of freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of movement, all those other things that are also present in the charter. And, and so it's not purely private. It's not, it's not solipsistic. It's not what I think Romans 13 means and, and too bad for what other people think, including that Romans 13 doesn't matter, <laughs> um, as many of them would think. It's, it's a question of public discourse, first of all, for the, for the religious person in their, in their families and their communities, and in the case of Christians, in the church, where 
where we don't all decide for ourselves what everything means. We work at it together in, in, in the search for a corporate grasp of the mind of Christ. Likewise, in the political sphere, where we bring or should bring the mind of Christ to bear, even though there are many there who do not share it, that's a much looser bond. Being a Canadian citizen is a much looser bond than being a baptized person. This is, of course, why I have objected so publicly and so vociferously in the church uh, and in the state, uh, well, in society, I'm not a member of the state, um, against this state's attempt to um, take over the church by telling it whether it can meet, when it can meet, and even who can meet. That is, a, a, that, is, that is a perversion of the relation between church and state, which cannot be met merely by individuals, but must be met by individuals as well as by church authorities. And I, I have been quite vocal, I have to admit, in my criticism of the bishops of the Catholic Church in this regard, but this would be equally applicable to many Protestant pastors and bishops. So I think that that's a good lead-in to to um, what people have been calling the nanny state, and how over and you would probably know better than me how many years it's been that the government has um, encroached further and further into the, the private sphere and the people's individual lives and their the lives of their communities like churches and other organizations. Um, Many Canadians my age remember when uh, the father of our current prime minister, the father being Pierre Elliott Trudeau, um, had this large bill. Um, I think he was justice minister at the time, and it was a it was a it was this bill that it's the bill that uh, legalized, for what I understand, it legalized abortion. It legalized certain forms of sexual expression that up to that time were illegal in Canada. And he made this famous statement that it wasn't, I may not be quoting it exactly right, but it was along the lines of, it's not the government's place to be in the bedrooms of the nation. And that was very appealing to a lot of people. The idea that government was controlling personal morality, you can go to jail for doing certain activities between consenting adults, and we could discuss that on its own. But it's interesting that we went from a time period where those um, government control, where government controlled morality was unraveled, and it felt like we were in this very liberal time period where people were free to make up their own mind about such such things, and the government wasn't going. To, the government was going to mind its own business, so to speak. And then at some point, the government went back into the bedroom and started to t tell Canadians what the, a new morality sexually and in other ways. Are you following along? Does it make sense? Well, yes, it does. And, and this is what I was writing with uh, Daniel Siri and others about in the book you mentioned, Divorcing Marriage, and also in my own book, uh, Nation of Bastards, because uh, the point really that I was making, especially in the latter, uh, was that what what the government was doing 
this was specifically, of course, around uh, n- not uh, not the omnibus bill that you were referring to of 68 and 69, but but around the um, same-sex marriage bill of uh, C38 uh, that, that went through in 2005. <clears throat> um, the point that I was making is that that, that that bill effectively made us all wards of the state, bastards in that sense. Um, and, and I was taking that, of course, from Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who, who, who back in the social contract in book four, had insisted that if the state was going to win the, the um, pride of place uh, in French society and to take that away from the church, it would have to take control of marriage. And and if it if we just simply said, well, look, let, let's let's call it a draw and just cut marriage out of public life, he said we would be a nation of bastards, and and there we would be cutting out so much of the lineaments of our social, economic, and political life that we wouldn't be able to function, we wouldn't survive. So it wasn't as simple as saying let's privatize marriage. No, there 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 had to be. Um, a fight over marriage, and the state had to win it. Well, it took quite a long time for anyone to get very serious about that. Um, in, in, the, in the 1930s, the Soviets tried it. It went so badly that they abandoned it before the decade was out. But we decided to try it again in in the basically as early as the 60s but it but it didn't really catch on until the 90s and it succeeded in the first decade of this millennium um uh, so uh what we did was we said yes i mean ma- marriage belongs to the state the, the state can define marriage however it likes and so what it's going to do is redefine marriage in such a way that the natural family isn't part of it. It's not within its purview. Procreation is not within its purview. It's just a sexual relationship of which the state approves. So that's where the reversal happens. If marriage is not procreative in its nature, and if it doesn't involve the family, but is just a matter of sexual relations between adults, which are which are somehow regulated and approved by the state, then the question immediately arises, and this was the main question of the book, what happens to the children? Who's in charge of the children? Because if marriage isn't procreative, it's not educative either. And so the state begins to take over the process of forming the next generation, not in the image of the parents, but in the image of the people who are running the state. And they get back into the they, they get back into the domestic situation and even into the bedroom in the sense of deciding which sexual relations they will approve of and which ones they won't. You're right back where you started, only now the state is in charge of marriage and of the education of children. And so this 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 is playing itself out even, even at the moment, although it seems quite a, a stretch to say so. When when the when the, the police go to these people of the freedom convoy and even protesters 
that is ordinary Canadians who are coming to make their presence felt on Parliament Hill and say, if you bring your children, you're in danger of us taking your children away from you. But you see, the state is now in a position to say things like that because it doesn't regard children as being um, inherently attached to the parents any more than marriage is inherently attached to the pre-political unit that was recognized as the natural family with its own natural pre-political rights by the Universal Declaration. That's all gone. They didn't admit that they were taking it out. They didn't admit that. But we pointed out to them that they were taking it away. And they and they the, the justices knew this. The the parliamentarians knew this if they bothered to know anything at all. And the fellow academics knew it. But but they would not um, acknowledge that it was even an issue. They just went ahead and did it. And since then, we've seen one thing after another, including what we're seeing now, and that is a state that actually despises its own people. Yeah, and this is this is this is foundational to to what we're trying to talk about uh, this afternoon. And uh, it's when Paul penned Romans thirteen, he didn't know it was going to be chapter thirteen. But when he when he penned that part of that letter, um, he did not foresee. Uh, a world where the government would take over uh, all these other areas of, of personal life and and become the mother and the father. Yeah, I heard a friend of mine, an Israeli Jewish believer. I was I was talking with him about um, he lives in Israel and um, when they were in the in the midst of all their lockdowns and all the rest and. And the prime minister said something about losing patience with people who would not be vaccinated. And my friend said, "He's not my mother. <laughs> you don't. Talk, you don't. Uh, leaders have no God-given right to talk to their citizens as if they're the big parent. And and yet people are allowing that to happen. Like well-meaning, uh, Bible-believing Christians are are think that in the name of Romans thirteen that if if the government starts to tell me what color shirt I'm supposed to wear, then I'm supposed to do it. And if they tell me where my, you know, what my kids are supposed to learn. Um, now, my wife and I, we've been homeschoolers for years and years. Um, so about when we when we started homeschooling um, 35 ish years ago with our with our our oldest child, um, we we did it because we believed it was simply a better way to train our children to love God and love their neighbor. That was it. We were not doing it as some sort of political stand against the public school system. We just felt that the public school wasn't equipped. But now more and more, the public schools become the 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 channel of the state to indoctrinate children according to their sets of of principles, and they're basically taking the place of God. Yes. So I know you'd agree when when governing authorities begin to take the place of God. Now, if if we're claiming Jesus is Lord, we've got a problem. Yes. Even Thomas Hobbes, who stands back before Rousseau at the beginning of a tradition in which a political tradition in which uh, power uh devolves from the natural family and from the individual um, member of society to the state 
even Thomas Hobbes said, look, and of course he was he was trying to solve religious problems that had become political and military problems and, and were leading to a lot of bloodshed. Yes. So one understands when he says, um, anticipating really uh, uh, much of what happened at, at the Peace of Westphalia, um, when he says a few years earlier, look, the, 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 the individual citizen with his or her religious convictions needs to allow for the fact that a state to have peace um, must be able to use common symbols. And the sovereign must be the final adjudicator of what those symbols will be. Real religion such as there is, is in the heart anyways. So the individual just needs with their own heart to offer to God their, their own worship under the, the um, uh, rubrics of these public claims and, and images and, and statements, uh, actions, liturgies, if you like, um, and understand that, that those are, are, are rather um, general and you can put your own particular content in them, but don't insist on your content because if you do, the whole thing breaks down into warring factions. But he said, now with, with Hobbes, one never knows exactly what Hobbes himself thinks or believes, but um, I'm, I'm not sure whether Hobbes actually believed in God or not, but, um, but he said, look, at the point where the state or the sovereign substitutes itself for God and says, worship me as if I were God, you, you have a, you, yes, you have a right and an obligation to say no to that. There has to be limits on the state. And when the state pretends to be God or to be divine, you, you have an obligation to say no. Well, in fact, when the state takes over from God the power to define human nature and to define the institutions that perpetuate and that shape and form human nature like marriage, the state is claiming to be God, whether God is ever mentioned or not. Yeah, I think this needs to be uh, elaborated. Uh, and that is for a lot of, a lot of believers, um, because we have a, sec a so-called or a secular state where matters of God and faith are neglected, um, we don't think we're dealing with a Roman emperor who's saying, I am God, you must worship me. But what the state has now done is they've taken over all those things that are actually in God's domain and have become basically the, the, the Lord of all things. That So we saw this, um, and we need to move into the specific matter at hand with the, with the Freedom Convoy, um, when you have a prime minister say before this this grassroots movement arrives in the capital city here in Ottawa, he's decreeing that these people have unacceptable views in a democratic country. I, who decides? But God, 
if a particular viewpoint is unacceptable. We used to have viewpoints we disagreed with, but now the, 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 the political leader of our country is dictating that there's this, he also called them a, a fringe minority, which was nonsense, but maybe he really thought it was. Maybe his advisors say, oh, it's just a few people coming to Ottawa with some trucks. But uh, uh, it turned out it was not a fringe minority, it was a sizable minority. But to say any any citizens in our country having unacceptable views, and I'm gonna go on a little bit longer. So, and then at his first uh, press conference, uh, once the convoy was happening here in Ottawa, um, he uh, was asked by a reporter about um, protests that he himself was involved in. And one in particular was the Black Lives Matter protest uh, early on in the in the COVID, or these COVID times, I guess it was in the summer of 2020, around that time. And, the, and he was kneeling in, in, uh, in support of being against police brutality. And he, um, so he was saying, I'm like, I will be part of protests that I believe in. Well, since when does the leader of, of a country um, decide he, he himself, as, 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 as an individual person and, and leader of the country, this, this protest is legitimate, this protest is not legitimate, this, this viewpoint is legitimate, this viewpoint is illegitimate. And so it's all to say, he without invoking God's name, he's acting as God. Well, yes, I, 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 would, I would agree with you. Um, and I would also point out to your, your audience that the, the kinds of things which, um, which the law of God um, directs, which is ultimately all kinds of things, but but the, the kinds of things that matter in the public sphere are not things that can simply be left undirected. S -s there has to be a source of authority. So if it isn't God, and if what we say in the preamble of our charter is not true, namely that the rule of law rests on the supremacy of God. We, we, let me rephrase that. If, if, we, if we try not to acknowledge that after all, if we just put that away as a dead letter, as, as the, the, the court in British Columbia said a long time ago, what happens is not that we eliminate the link between the rule of law and God. We simply leave open to demagogues like Trudeau to substitute themselves for God. And there's no, there's no real difference between that and what the tyrants of old did. You're offering your pinch of incense to the uh, to the divine son of God today if you agree to and live your life according to commands which violate the fundamental um, uh, forms and natures and responsibilities that God has given human beings and you do so because 
the son of God, that is in the old sense that the emperor referred to himself as Divi Filius, yeah? Um, it, 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 today does that. So, so for example, in this situation here in Quebec and in some other places, the, the emperor <laughs> might be the premier, might be the, in this case, it would be the premier, um, says, well, look, you, you, you can't break bread together. Okay, so if you're if you're vaccinated, we'll let you go in and do that. If you're unvaccinated, you no, you 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 can't do it. That's a direct seizure of the things of God by the emperor. All right, by the authority, by the sovereign. And you're when you do that, when you submit to that, you are as much offering a pinch of incense to Caesar as ever a a a, a, um, a cowardly uh, uh, Christian did back in the day before Christianity was a legal religio and was still a superstitio, an illegal uh, a form of worship. So, the, so yeah. if we can go to the Freedom Convoy, um, if if you could, for the few people that may not know exactly what that what what it is, um, if you could describe it, but also. The people who initiated it were not thinking on these kinds of terms of of emperor and the divine, and their their uh, their goals were far more call it simple. Can, can you can you can you explain what their demands uh, have been and basically how it's gone as as briefly as you can, so we don't use too much time. Well, uh, first of all, uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to to your remark about Paul and say that, well, Paul uh, probably did not know the exact lineaments of what we are seeing emerge before us now. He did know that there would be what he called a, a, a deceiving or deluding influence, which would lead many people astray. And, and he knew that because he knew the book of Daniel and he knew Jesus' teaching, interpreting Daniel. And um, what we have seen around us now is an enormously powerful and well-orchestrated deceiving influence to which many people, including a great many Christian people, have succumbed, just as the prophets and apostles and indeed Jesus himself said would happen, deceiving even if possible the elect. Um, but these people have not been deceived. Now, many of them are actually religious people and Christian people. And anybody who, who I mean, any, any, anyone who is, is not aware of that just isn't paying attention. I expect the authorities are quite aware of it. But at any rate, these people just just to, just to clarify because yeah. you caught me by you caught me by surprise with how you're building. I was asking for the convoy. And next thing you know, we were in the book of Daniel. Yeah, <laughs> but what you're saying is just like the Bible for, uh, foresaw uh, this great deception, which maybe you would agree there's been many great deceptions throughout the centuries. So no, we're, yes, we're, nothing yeah. quite like this. Okay, so we're yes, in one. We're in a big one. Been, yes, a big one right Messianism now. Messianism in Germany, for example, in the right. 1930s. Yeah. So we're in a big one right now, and some people out west 
somehow have not did not buy into the deception and they're living life differently is that is that what you're saying yes um and some of them did buy into the inception uh, the 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 deception for a time and they of course aren't all out west um you know i could i won't use names but i i could i could speak of colleagues here who who at first thought okay well you know it's just do you know trust the science, trust the institutions, trust the I, I was talking about the convoy in particular. Yeah, when I what I'm saying is that yeah. some of some of these people were, like colleagues I know, um, at first inclined simply to take all of this as, as, as unfortunate and not very ordinary, but nevertheless uh, something to go along with. But gradually, some of them, sometimes quite quickly, some of them realized whether they were out west uh, traveling around in trucks and seeing the world very differently than people see it in 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 the context of the laptop class um but in both contexts some people began to realize how deceptive this grand narrative was and these people had the courage to and this then the perseverance to risk a great deal and to drive their trucks across the country, whether they were coming from West or from the East and, and to, and to park them in Ottawa and say, look, not we're here, we're queer, get used to it, but we're here and we're very concerned about the fact that our constitutional rights and freedoms have been taken from us for two years over something that even the scientists now admit is nothing as um, as uh, as it's nothing like what it's been made out to be. Well, Christians who were among those doubtless realized what what I realized, and that is that that you knew something was wrong as soon as you saw and heard all the efforts to crank up fear as a motivating factor. Now, now we're going back we're going back to the early time of covid. We're not on the convoy, right? Well, no, no, we are on the convoy, but what I'm saying is behind the convoy is and are people who have understood that the right way to tackle problems such as this coronavirus crisis, the virus crisis is not by fear. And so they bravely confronted the fear by bringing their very legitimate concerns to the, the foot of Parliament Hill, from which they have now been evicted and around which barriers have now been put up. This tells us a great deal about where we are. We, we are in a situation where the people who have been fear-mongering for two years have now turned to brutality, which we all witnessed this past weekend, in order to prevent citizens from bringing their legitimate concerns, constitutional concerns, to the place where, par where, where, where we are supposed to be dealing with these things in, in Parliament. Now, of course, Parliament is dealing today with the situation created by the Emergency Act. And I'm uh, we're all going to be very interested to see how the vote goes tonight. I believe it will be close. 
um, but I am not confident that it will come out as it should come out. What's being done is, is the next step in turning from fear to coercion. It's the next step preparing the way for new forms of coercion, such as we have not yet experienced until this weekend. So we'll see. But what I'm trying to say is that, is that all of this is, cannot be properly analyzed strictly in secular terms, if secular means taking no account of religion, taking no account of the nature of human beings, taking no account of the God who made human beings. These things all factor in. And it's no accident that many of the, many of the people associated with the Freedom Convoy have some at least residual grasp of these, of these dimensions of the problem. Many of them are not religious. Many of them are religious. But even amongst the non-religious, there is a residual grasp of some of these issues. And it is, in my mind, to the disgrace of much of the church today, as it was in much of the church, both Catholic and Protestant in Germany in the 30s, that it does not see what is happening and that it's swept up in this tide, not now of messianic fervor such as existed for Hitler in the 30s, but of diabolical fear in which we've been asked to live for two years. Well, you still get people that if you try to explain um, what we think is going on and why certain of the mandates and regulations and restrictions and lockdowns aren't really necessary, and you, you try to explain as best you can, and then they just come back with, but we're in a pandemic. Well, I, I confess that I've largely given up um, trying to explain the science to people um, because the, the first problem is that is that they've been sold this phony notion of the science and they have paid no attention to the particulars because they've also been sold on follow, that is obey the science, take up your cross and follow me, all right? Um, they've been sold on that and they are delighted to do it in a perverse sort of way. And therefore they don't want to listen. They don't read any of the stuff that, that, that I, I, for example, have been reading for two years. I knew from, from, from with, in the first couple of months that this was not what it was being made out to be. And I have spent a great deal of time trying to send people to the literature that would help them, as have many others. But frankly, um, the, the psychosis is such in the general population that they don't want to know. They really do not want to know, and they are, at this point, incapable of knowing. This is why the situation is so dangerous, because you have a, a, um, a leadership which is willing even to take the place of God, though they don't talk in those terms. Well, you know, behind, behind the scenes, some of them do. If, if, you, if you examine the philosophy of people like Harari, who's one of the favorites of the World Economic Forum, uh, he's quite open about it. You, you've got a God that has to go. We've got a God that has to come in. 
Is, um, is he the is he the the transhumanist? Yes, uh, he's guy? one of the transhumanists. Yeah. yeah. For those that don't understand what that is, it has to do with the combination of computers, machines, and human beings. And there is, and this is not conspiracy stuff. It's there's real work going on. And there are proponents that are saying this is the inevitable uh, um, progress of evolution. That the, yes. the species, in, in by a hundred years from now, if not less. We will not have human beings like we have them today because we'll be full of all sorts of uh, biotech type type things. Yes. Let's not get too distracted by that. No, but um, but it but, but it's it does matter because yeah. because the whole the whole uh, reason for generating this uh, this fear and producing this psychosis and getting ever more draconian and coercive is to is to create a system uh, a system of uh, of checkpoints uh, through which people will find themselves necessarily if they want to work to move to have all those liberties that the constitution actually uh, guarantees them they're, they're no longer guaranteed they're conditional and they're conditional on participating in this grand experiment whereby humans will be um, merged with uh, computerized technology that allows the state and 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 frankly the people behind the state who run the economic dimensions of our society to have absolute, uh, knowledge of their movements and control of their purchasing power and so forth. And anyone who doesn't realize that's happening simply isn't paying attention because well, it's happening in public. It's yeah, not a matter right. of something a fevered brain thinks of. It, well, it, you can go to the Bank of Canada, you can go to the World Economic Forum, you can go to dozens of places where this stuff is being worked out and they will tell you what is happening. Yeah, so just to, again, because we I was hoping earlier on maybe we're going to describe the, the convoy just, just briefly. About three weeks ago, a convoy of trucks and various supporters arrived in, in Ottawa. Um, they had a list of demands. Their main one was the cancelling of, of uh, COVID mandates. That was the main thing. There were some peripheral things. Things were been adjusted uh, based on different discussions. And, and I it looked, from my vantage point, the... Freedom Convoy started off as a very grassroots, some people had this idea, they had no idea how big it was going to get, there was, that they didn't think they were going to get as much support throughout the country, and that the world then would take, uh, would take notice and begin to um, imitate uh, the convoy in their, in their own countries. And so three weeks ago, basically, they arrived um, and more or less parked themselves in the Parliament Hill region. Um, and for the most part, um, now I, I have, I actually have been, I'm getting better from being unwell. I didn't get a chance to go downtown. My wife's gone down six times. Our other kids living in the city have gone down. We've known other people that have been there and it's all the same story. It's more like, it was more like a party than a protest. And yet what the mainstream media and the prime minister keep reporting are these few things. Some of them happened. Um, but the, my quote unquote, if you're listening in audio, air quotes here, um, favorite, it has to do with the flying of the Nazi flag. And apparently there might have been three sightings of the Nazi symbol. It was not clear if 
what the message was. Were they saying we are Nazis and we want to take over? Or if they were accusing um, the government of being Nazis. Either way, I, especially as a Jewish person, the use of that symbol is not acceptable. But that only happened in the very beginnings of the, of the protest and in a very minimal way. And yet, that incident, the incident of one Confederate flag, whatever that's supposed to mean in Canada, and some other maybe true, maybe not true instances, they were repeated and repeated and repeated by the Prime Minister and the media. Um, why do they do that? Well, they do it for the same reason. They repeated um, uh, facts out of context and told deliberate lies from the very beginning of this business two years ago. Uh, as far as as far as these fringe incidents um, at at the in Ottawa, uh, these are facts out of context, and 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 what is what is being said about them uh, does amount to lying. Uh, the, I also been there twice and observed and, um, and I'm confident in saying pretty much what you just said. Not only are these fringe incidents, they're being misinterpreted. Not only are they being misinterpreted, but, um, what we do know of them, but there are things we don't know of them, uh, agent provoca uh, uh, provocateurs, um, and so forth. Uh, but but they're so speaking of fringe, they're so fringe, and there's there's so little of it as to amount almost to nothing. Um, and it's not an accident, of course, that in the house it was uh, a, a Jewish uh, woman, conservative MP, who who said, "Wait a minute, you 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 can't you, these these people, um, these people are." probably saying this person rather this person was probably saying yes you are behaving like nazis we're not standing with nazis we're standing before nazis if we could use it if we can use that expression or at least let's say fascist so as so as to say we're standing before people who are using powers fascistically a cooperative what they call a uh, these days a public private partnership of capital and state power. That's what fascism essentially is and does. Now, we can say, well, well, let, you know, let's not be too big on the comparison with the 30s. But nothing in Canada has ever happened that looks like Germany in the 30s and uh, until until now and until this weekend. We have not seen that when when, when Pierre Trudeau invoke the War Measures Act. There was a lot of concern that he was going too far in the direction of coercive use of state power. But at least bear in mind that there were there were kidnappings and murder and a murder. There, 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 was, there was violence of various kinds from a group that was dedicated to overthrowing the state and nothing could be further from the truth. About you the mean in 1970, there were no bouncy castles and saunas? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I just, I just, I just uh, this is just a little bit for me and also for anybody out there that doesn't know about this. For me, the call it, I, I probably had a lot last straw a while ago, but the, the last of the last straws 
was when that Conservative MP, Melissa Lansman from the Toronto area, simply asked the question, what's the Prime Minister's plan to end the mandates? Which, of course, just having that conversation with the convoy most likely would have ended the whole thing right there. A peaceful, calm, intelligent conversation about the issues, which he refused to do because, of course, this was a fringe minority with unacceptable views. So she asked that question, and then he responded by, the, you know, if conservative members feel comfortable hanging out with people waving swastikas, and she's, she's Jewish, yeah. as, as me and my family are, and that... And here's what people don't seem to understand. Um, so yes, whatever reason, there was those inappropriate displays of Nazi symbols, whoever was the cause of that. But what's happened is, or here's the question, who is actually illegitimately leveraging those symbols? Is it the people in the convoy that may or may not have been part of it, who may have not been misguided? No, but let me let me interrupt you there. Sure. The people in the convoy were not part of it. No, I know. I believe. Yeah, I, but, I know that's but true. Even even then, the most likely interpretation. I've seen a photo of that. That's all. Yeah. Because it was a one-off. But the most likely interpretation of it is that the imposition of the swastika on the Canadian flag was a protest against what the government was doing to Canadian rights and freedoms. Now, it may have been ill-advised simply because it is spinnable in a, in, in a fashion contrary to what you intended. Alternatively, it may have been done by someone who intended exactly that to happen. We don't know. But what we do know is that the government is behaving in a fascist fashion because it will not talk to people, hardworking, honest, ordinary people who have come to have their concerns about their constitutional rights and freedoms having been taken from them, to, who have come to express that. And the prime minister won't even talk to them. And why won't he talk to them? Because he is working to a plan that does not include in any way acceding to their request that their constitutional liberties be restored to them. So emergency powers used in generated in an illegal fashion and used in an unconstitutional way is what he is after. And if what we have seen in the provinces is anything to go by, and what we're seeing even from Biden south of the line, two years on, when the scientists and the people researching this are saying, wait a minute, our problem now is to deal with the, with the expanding number of people injured by these vaccines, not in dealing with Omicron or with COVID, that they are still trying to use emergency powers tells you pretty much all you need to know. Something that was intended to be put in place for 10 days, two weeks, 30 days, is, has been used for two years in most of the provinces of Canada. And what is happening now federally will follow exactly the same pattern if this government is not defeated and put out and replaced by people who actually respect the constitution and are not having the the plays called from uh, Davos. So there are some people that say that um, 
the, the restrictions were all going to come to an end very soon because of the COVID numbers, et cetera, et cetera. And the, the trucker convoy, instead of helping along with that, actually made things worse. Uh, do you believe that the restrictions would have come to an end? Not at all. And I think that I, 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 for the same reason I just said, the only reason we're seeing things lifted in Canada, I won't speak about other countries because there are different reasons in different countries, but the only reason we're seeing them lifted here is because of the truckers. It's, it's because enough people, it was recognized as they came uh, to Ottawa from all parts of the country and I was out there and I watched this and I and I participated in it. Yes, I participated in it. I waved flags and people. Did you wave a Canadian flag? I waved a red ensign. Okay. The flag my, my father right. was under. The one that the predated war. the official Canadian flag. Yes. Yeah. Did um, you sing O Canada? Well, no, it was very cold and I was standing on a oh, bridge. Because, okay. you know, um, that's what they were doing. They were. Do you know yes, this? No, I, know. I have never I, I seen. Know. I've yeah. never seen in my life Quebec and Canadian flags flying together in unison about any cause before. Yeah, yeah. This well, is actually- see, now now that's all to be illegal and even possibly retroactively illegal. I'm in danger just admitting to having done that. But, but, but I don't see any solution to this by people cowering again in fear. Now, not over COVID, but over a fascist government. Yeah. So people my understanding is... need to I, stand up and be counted. So my understanding is the people who initiated the convoy and the people who then supported them had no idea, maybe some did, but they didn't really have an idea that they were confronting an ideology. They thought they were simply confronting these mandates and trying to make a change for freedom. But it looks like what ended up happening is they ran smack against this overarching ideology in which um, people like our prime minister, they, they cannot lose that battle because of all that's at stake if they do. Yes, I think that's right. I doubt that most of them ha had any idea as you said earlier, how big it would get or what they were, how big is what they are up against, although they may have had some inkling of that. But, but I'd, I think most people even now don't realize how big it is. They don't, they don't follow the international connections that are, that, are, that are there to be followed. Although when I was on the Hill observing, I think um, it was evident that some people were quite conscious of that um, from things I saw and heard. But but in in any case, the the um, the the reason that I'm saying that they did far more good than harm is is twofold. One, well, no, threefold. One, they 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 brought Canadians together in a way Canadians have deliberately been held apart for two years. Two, they inspired the world to, to get out there, to stand up and be counted. And that has brought changes as far away as New Zealand. Um, three, they exposed the real character of what is going on here, which is not a matter of protecting people from COVID. 
and not a matter of protecting people from the consequences of our attempts to deal with COVID, but a matter of protecting the people in power from the consequences of their actions, not only during COVID, but before COVID. There's quite a lot of talk at the moment, and I think it is pretty well-founded that that the, the financial situation of the country is dire enough that, um, that in order to maintain some kind of order, there's going to have to be on their view, not, that is on the government's view, and not on the people who are analyzing this, uh, not, on the view, not on their view. Um, but, there's, but, but there's a huge temptation, the people in power to cling to power by use of coercion and, and draconian measures so that the mandates we've seen to this point are going to pale in comparison to the mandates we are going to see. And, and, and those are going to in, basically involve the, the establishment of a Checkpoint Charlie uh, society um, and, and of mandatory submission to, to this uh, biodigital regime, to the passports and all of that, and to a controlled currency, um, which doesn't allow you to use your own money freely. So th there's lots more coming down the pike here. Anybody who thinks this is over is simply got their head stuck in the sand. Um, sorry to mix my metaphors like that, but but there's <laughs> but there's a lot more coming down the 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 pipe that's under the sand, and it's it's going to affect us all. So yeah. we had better be prepared to to wake up, discover what's going on, and stand up and resist it. Yeah, the the prime minister did a press conference this this afternoon. In case it isn't clear, this is uh, Monday, February the twenty first. Um, it's currently almost 5.30, and at 8 o'clock this evening, that's Eastern time, there's going to be a vote. Um, I don't know if they call it ratifying. It's, it's kind of strange uh, for us anyway. The Prime Minister established this Emergency Act. They That gave them all this power to bring in these police to do various coercive measures. But they're voting on it tonight. So it could be, uh, they could stop it, but it looks like the vote will be in favor of the Prime Minister. Um, so it's going to be a miracle if otherwise, but we can pray for a miracle. Um, but if it goes through as expected, he made it clear that these measures will stay in place as long as this threat continues, which means as long as there's people somewhere in this country not going along with this narrative and willing to not keep that private, do anything that smacks of something public, then he's going to continue to enforce these measures, which, and you mentioned about the control of, of our money. Um, many people know, some people don't know, that people who gave uh, little bits of money to the, the convoy, they raised $10 million on, uh, on GoFundMe, and that was shut down, and the money ended up being given back, thank God, to the donors. Then Give, Send, Go, a Christian uh, GoFundMe-type site, also, within days, it went back to something close to $10 million, and the government is, has actually frozen the accounts of, of people who've given small amounts of money, like over $25, as well as other people gave more. But they've frozen accounts, I believe it's a, the amount is $3.2 million. And the thought that the government uses its powers to shut down people's access to their hard-earned money 
again, I don't understand why the majority of the population is, is, isn't crying out for this great injustice. And if this is what they're doing now, what are they going to do next? Well, un unfortunately, a great many people um, have been avoiding the obvious for a good deal of time now and have also accepted the, the official narrative that their real enemies are the people who are questioning or resisting the narrative in any fashion. And so that was directed for a time and still is to some extent uh, against people who refused the mRNA injections. Um, it is easily redirected against people who continue to voice criticisms of the government in a time of emergency. As I said before, emergency powers um, are, are designed to allow very brief um, uh, limitations on rights and freedoms in order to restore a situation in which um, some uh, in, in which the people can work together for the common good. They're not intended to be used for long periods of time, but we have seen that they are being used for long periods of time. Really, the state of exception becomes the norm. And, and so um, in the state of exception, constitutional rights and liberties do not, do not matter. Um, I mean, the Constitution, as Brian Peckford has argued, does not, does not um, uh, contemplate that. But there are people who have contemplated that. In fact, going back to Schmidt in the in the Nazi era, um, and this this idea that we are we've entered a state of exception whereby we can suspend natural rights and freedoms and and even constitutionally guaranteed rights and freedoms um, in, in, indefinitely as long as there's a threat. Well, guess what? The government's very good at saying there's a threat, even when there is no threat. And if it isn't the threat of the coronavirus, it's the threat of a financial collapse. If it isn't the threat of a financial collapse, it's the threat of hacking and other things that might lead to a financial collapse. If it's not that, it's climate change. If it's not that, it's Russia or whatever it is, you see. So the threats there always are. The state of exception becomes permanent because the government says that the threat meets the threshold, even though, as in the present case, it manifestly does not meet the threshold. As I said, people across the spectrum who look at this with any integrity have said, look, this doesn't meet the threshold. Therefore, it's illegal. If the parliament votes tonight to ratify it and the Senate also ratifies it in the next day or two, what we will have is the death of democracy in Canada, full stop. The death of democracy in Canada is what we are looking at. So what are we gonna do then? That's the question people should be asking themselves. And if they're still stuck back on their, if they're, if they're religious people and Christian people and, and they, they're still stuck back on, well, you know, Paul said to obey the authorities and they haven't realized that genuine authority has disappeared because this is not justice wielding power. This is power destroying justice. Then 
you know, they're, they're going to go along with something which will destroy their country, destroy their bodies, destroy their finances, destroy their souls, which is much more important. People need to think about that and wrestle with that. And I'm, I'm confident that if we seek the Lord, we will find the way through. I know as, as we've seen various changes in our society over the past several decades and, and some of the things that we took for granted with regard to the place of God in the public sphere and the schools and all the rest, and those things have all been lost, there's been a, a bit of, I guess, nostal- nostalgic feeling, oh, we can only see some of those things restored, and maybe then everything would be better. Um, but you know, one of the beautiful things about uh, the Bible is most of it's written through very, very difficult times, through oppression and tyranny. And the, when when the Lord Jesus came with, with a true occupation of, of Rome and a very vile, uh, uh, oppressive regime, um, a, a religious ruling class that took advantage of the people and that were not being helpful, and yet in the midst of that, we see the birth of this wonderful expression of the goodness of God through his kingdom, through his son. And to think that we have in the scriptures the resources we need to actually navigate that very, very dark and discouraging thing you just described. But it's about time, it's about time we took notice of it, took it seriously, and then find God's way through all this. And we could explore that for the next hour, but you've already, you've been very gracious in being with me longer than I had predicted. And so uh, let me just ask you, if people want to uh, know more about you, your books, articles, and so on, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, there are two sites where they can go. Uh, one is is douglasfarrow.academia.edu. Um, where they can they can see and and download some of the stuff that I've written on this and other topics. Another is my Substack site, which is um, douglasfarrow.substack.com. It's called Desiring a Better Country, and of course you'll catch the biblical allusion, which is also uh, uh, an allusion that is represented in our official Canadian motto. Um, because it applies to not only to the spiritual um, and, and biblical hope of, of a new uh, or renewed heavens and earth, but it applies to such renewals as we as responsible people, responsible citizens and believing people, hopeful people, um, as you were just saying, uh, can expect and seek from God uh, and work together with one another to to see um, uh, materialize in in the present time, exercising those virtues of faith, hope, and charity by which we resist these things. At the moment, there are still many that need to be wakened to the fact that we must resist, but then in resisting, and for those who are already resisting, uh, we need those virtues that you were just speaking of, and I do try to speak of that as well. And so um, if people want to to follow my own labors in that uh, uh, alongside yours and many others, um, they're certainly welcome to visit those sites and, and, uh, and take in what they find there. None of it costs anything. So, <laughs> And I'll make sure that those links that you mentioned are in the description. 
Douglas, thank you so much for taking this time and, and for helping us to understand these things a little better and look forward to future contact and uh, exploring how we can be looking for that better country that's that's promised to us in scripture. So th thank you so much for doing this with, this with me today. You're very welcome. And thanks again for uh, for having me on uh, your your podcast here. Uh, I, I hope that uh, it's helpful to people and uh, and even my contribution is helpful somehow. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it has been. I hope people are going to share this far and wide. So again, thank you so much. You're welcome. 